Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here, as always, on this Victory Tuesday with my good buddy Rich Hill breaking down Patriots, Cardinals, and all things that were in Week 12 of the NFL season as this season limps to a ridiculous <laughs> Rich, how's it going, buddy? Oh, uh, doing well since it's always good when the Patriots win. It's just hard. I, this was one of the weirdest wins, Alec, that I've ever seen. I can't really recall another win by the Patriots that just seemed so confounding in the sense that how did they win that? They that was one of the worst offensive displays I've ever seen by the Patriots in the past two decades, and they still managed to find a way to win. So I'm just scratching my head mostly. Yeah, I guess if I had to think back, there was a, maybe 2003. There was a Patriots Cleveland game that they won like nine to three on three Adam Vinatieri field goals. Well, they were just fumbling all the time, and it was just a really sloppy game all around. The defense played well, and the offense just couldn't move the ball past the 30-yard line. Maybe that's the closest comparison. But, yeah, once again, Rich, um, we were spectacularly wrong in our predictions. The Patriots pulled out a win when everyone had them losing. The Cardinals are one of the better teams in the NFC. The offense was terrible. Defense looked great. Special teams were good. So this is kind of a classic old-school Patriots victory where the offense did just enough to win it, and they got some help through some interesting penalties and ridiculous calls, which we'll talk about toward the little, a little later on. But first, I want to go around the league here, Rich. It was an interesting week of NFL football in that uh, there were two games on Thanksgiving, both of which had, saw 41 points scored by the winning team. There was a game that probably shouldn't have happened because there was literally not a quarterback able to dress, and the Broncos were trying to convince a coach to suit up. They had to call up a practice squad wide receiver and put him under center out of sheer desperation. The Browns managed to win a game despite not really throwing for any yards and having a negative point differential on the season. The Falcons suddenly put up 40-plus points. Very strange week in the NFL, Rich. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, maybe even just start off Matt Patricia and uh, Bob Quinn 
time of the Detroit Lions, former Patriots, have been fired from the Lions. Uh, terrible. They, they did a terrible job up in Detroit. They, they took what was a, a fringe playoff team under Jim Caldwell and just ran it into the ground. So this Lions team uh, fell to the Texans, who now all of a sudden look really good. It makes the Patriots loss last week uh, seem not as bad. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think the, the big story of this week – Outside of uh, you know Tyreek Hill going for over 200 yards and a couple touchdowns in the very first quarter against the Buccaneers is uh, yeah that Denver Broncos team they had all four of their quarterbacks on the roster placed on the COVID list prior to the game uh, they had to call up as you said that practice squad wide receiver Kendall Hinton who was in retail sales at the beginning of November uh, he is someone who played as a backup quarterback in college at Wake Forest he couldn't win the starting job he broke out as a wide receiver in his senior year after a position switch and uh, he's been like a couple weeks on this practice squad team. They've had maybe, as he said, 10% of the playbook accessible to them. He completed one pass. And honestly, uh, he he did play better quarterback than a lot of other quarterbacks in the league. So good on him. <laughs> yeah. No, Mitch Trubisky's probably shaking his head right now, wondering what the hell's going on with his career. Uh, and if I'm the Broncos, I mean, I understand it, but if there was ever a proof positive moment that the NFL treats their quote-unquote money teams differently than the rest of the league. The ones that have profitable players, the ones that gave the big market money, they will treat those teams differently. It was the Patriots for a very long time, so it's not like we can sit here and cast aspersions. But if I'm the Broncos watching the Steelers-Ravens game get postponed again and again and again as 20 players plus are placed on the COVID list just so they can get Lamar Jackson playing in a, in a, in a primetime game, I'm furious this morning. And honestly, if I'm the rest of the NFC watching the Saints, who are currently the one seed in the NFC, get handed a win through no fault of their own, I'm also furious. This is not a great look for the league. Oh, not at all. And then ultimately, you know, this game has been pushed to a Wednesday between the Ravens and Steelers, and it's going to be at 3.40 p.m. It's going to be an early afternoon game because there's, the, uh, you know, a, a Christmas tree lighting ceremony <laughs> that afternoon that they, they can't change. So this was the only time they had available. And it's just, as you said, it's just such an obvious money grab that, you know, you got to put the reigning MVP in prime time. I guess it's no longer prime time anymore, but you can't just keep postponing them. Uh, honestly, though, it, it, we're at a point where we saw this with the Titans earlier in the year. We're seeing with the Ravens right now that if your team is in a spot where you're unable to play because of the recklessness of your own players, you know, we could throw the Raiders into this as well as they were having like that celebrity benefit the week after the Patriots game. If you're actively going out of your way to not follow the protocol guidelines and as a result, people are contracting COVID you should be required to forfeit your game at a minimum. I agree with that. You should be Agreed. fined more than just a seventh-round pick like the uh, like the Saints were and like a mid-round pick. Like the fact that the league is just responding with just like a sniff in the direction of these teams shows that they don't really care. And they need to absolutely just bring down the hammer as much as possible on any team that is not following the protocols. And instead they're just saying, you know what? We're just going to keep moving it down the road just to just just to get the the game in prime time. That's it. Yeah, 
No, it's tough. You know, I agree with that completely. The only negative, I guess, is you forfeit a game. I believe the team that you're supposed to play against doesn't get their paycheck for that week, um, which is tough for the guys that actually did follow protocols. But maybe there's a way you can work around that. But, again, I think the NFL did a really lousy job preparing for this. They knew it was going to be some snafus. They didn't really bake in a couple extra bye weeks. They could have kind of avoided all this by just being a little more diligent and thinking about the players over the profit. But that's never going to happen. That's just how it is. The league's gone full heel. And you know what? I feel like a hypocrite complaining because I still watch Patriots games. I was watching this Sunday as the Patriots took on the Cardinals and beat them somehow. 20-17 <laughs> on a last-second Nick Folk field goal. The defense looked great like we talked about. But let's start with the offense, Rich, because mm. – um, there's two words to describe the offense, or two letters to describe the offense, I should say. P and U. P-U, <laughs> horrible. Cam Newton was 50% throwing 84 yards and two interceptions. That's a stat line of a winning quarterback never in the National Football League. Their leading rusher is Damian Harris, who looks good for only on 47 yards rushing. The leading receiver was Jacoby Myers again, but after that, it was a whole lot of nothing. And Nikhil Harry, once again, was a ghost. How did the Patriots pull out a win with this offense being so putrid? Yeah, I mean, Nikhil Harry finished the day four opportunities, so three targets and a rushing attempt. Negative two yards on the day. That's brutal. Uh, I mean, like, sure, he's helping as a run blocker, but at this point, you just got to transition him to that move tight end spot. You know, just convert him into Trey Burton-esque. You know, you're, you're an undersized tight end, but you're just going to be playing off tackle. He's just not a wide receiver at this point in time. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know how the Patriots managed to to win because you, you look at uh, how they put points on the board. Their their final drive notwithstanding, which, you know, really benefit from that unnecessary roughness penalty that gave them an extra 15 yards. Their 17 points prior to that drive came on the three drives where they started in Cardinals territory. They start, they got a touchdown off of a drive where they started on the 46-yard line, uh, thanks to a great kick return from Dante Moncrief. They got a field goal uh, that they, you know, drive they started from the 39-yard line. That was after Gunnar Olszewski kick return that should have been a touchdown, but there is that, you know, super wonky rule of blindside block that uh, Alec, what happened there? That was just dumb. Yeah, I mean, again, like I listened to, I think it was Dean Blandino what was called in to, to break it down. And technically, again, it's one of those things where by the letter of the law, as the NFL becomes more and more of a ridiculous league in terms of the rules, like the, the rest got it right because I guess he was facing back towards his own end zone. And what he was supposed to have done literally, literally was just stand there and let the, the, the plowing, I think it was a linebacker up again, like this 200 plus pound linebacker at full speed, plow him over. That's how you avoid a penalty there. And the fact that that is the case uh, is just ridiculous. Uh, I, that's very similar, not exactly, but it's very similar to that amazing block that Michael Floyd threw mm -hmm. to spring Julian Edelman for a 70-plus yard touchdown back in 2016, I believe. Now different. Uh, I, I get it. You're going for player safety, but I don't understand whenever you are kind of erring on the side of player safety, it always comes on, at the expense of the defense and special teams. Like, I don't care if the defense gets laid out as long as the receivers and the quarterback are healthy because that's where the points are, that's where the money is. Another good example of the league not really caring and doing only what looks good optically, but not really thinking it through. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, it's a situation where uh, maybe they'll have to coach it like basketball in the future where you got to teach them to take the charge in a way. But, like, you're moving at a completely different speed with different paths than in basketball. So I don't really know. Like, you, you can't just expect them to, like, get out of the way or just, like, you know, guide them out because then you'll get a holding call. So... What can they do about it? I don't know. That was just a ridiculous penalty. But you know what? It set up the Patriots for another field goal. They should have been getting a touchdown out of it. 
Uh, and then, you know, their subsequent drive, they got uh, they started on the 31-yard line of the Cardinals due to a deflected pass that Adrian Phillips, who has been fantastic for the Patriots this year at safety, really good job getting former safeties from the Chargers. Uh, you know, good, good pedigree there, a little bit of Rodney, a little Steve Gregory, now Adrian. Like, they're doing a really good job. Uh, starting on the 31-yard line, and they got a touchdown. Those were their 17 points. They all started on the Cardinals' territory. They just couldn't get anything going outside of those drives. No, they couldn't, and it was a situation where, again, I'd love to know. You now, we always talk about chemistry with wide receivers and rapport and, and having trust, and it seemed that early on in the season, Cam Newton was going to Nikhil Harry a decent amount, and he was really trying to get involved in the offense. Seems to have more or less shied away from that now and given up on him. Joe Kobe Myers is the guy. He's the number one receiver. He almost always leads the team in receptions. Demir Bird is the number two. Again, I don't think either of them are a number one or number two receiver. But here we find ourselves, and I'm very curious to know how much of it is just Cam Newton's play versus him just not having the weapons versus him just not really trusting those guys. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. There, there was one play in particular with Nikhil Harry. It was on a third and 14, I believe, that he threw an incomplete pass, obviously, because uh, Nikhil Harry didn't get a catch. But he was telling him in the middle of the play, Nick Cam Newton was pointing at Nikhil Harry saying, go to the sticks, go to the sticks, go to the sticks, because it's third down. And if you don't get to the sticks, we're punching. So just go. And Harry just firmly planted himself like three yards shy of the first down and he was bracketed by three defenders and it's just like where is your football iq right there if that is how you're approaching that type of situation you're you're he struggles to get any uh, separation from a defender whatsoever and you're not even putting yourself in a position where a jump ball would be successful so if you're not getting separation you need to win on physicality and uh, if you're winning on physicality, you need to get no yards after the catch. And if you're not going to get yards after the catch, you got to get to the sticks on third down. And it, it's just a really obvious case of things just not clicking with Harry and him just not having an understanding of what he needs to do in order to be successful in this offense. And this is something that I don't think it's, you know, the result of having a truncated offseason. I think it's just the fact that, you know, like he's doesn't fit in with his Patriots offense and they don't know what to do with him and he's out there because he's a very good run blocker and the Patriots entire identity is running the ball uh, but you know when they're only getting 3.7 yards per carry you gotta say you know what maybe it's just worth putting an extra offensive lineman on the field as opposed to Nikhil Harry yeah I mean look he's a first round pick and I'm sure that has something to do with it as well but if you're a rookie receiver you want to show flashes and you want to have some good moments, which I think he did his rookie season and you want to build on that. And I don't, again, I'm not willing to pull the plug on him yet, but to expect at this point, a massive jump between this year and next year, just not going to happen. Uh, he's going to be the B word coming sooner rather than later. And that's kind of just the way it is, which means the Patriots have a lot of thinking to do this off season, especially if Julian Edelman, who is on IR and now got the double secret IR, which is the IR slash COVID list. He's now on, um, they're going to be without, uh, a legit kind of receiving threat outside Jacoby Myers come next year. And so they have a lot of thinking to do. Uh, unfortunately, that's just the case. And I'll be very curious to see what happens to them this offseason for quarterback, running back. They're pretty set there, but um, I don't know. The good news is, Rich, the defense was phenomenal yesterday. I was very worried about the defense when the Cardinals marched down the field in, what, like three plays uh, mm -hmm. after that interception, and then they marched down the field in about 12 plays to score again on their first two possessions, but they really tightened up. 
They extremely limited Kyler Murray with his legs. He was not a threat at all. DeAndre Hopkins was more or less shut down by Stephon Gilmore. The defense had a phenomenal game plan yesterday uh, on Sunday, excuse me, and executed it very well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I was very impressed with how they did it. Uh, Mainly, I want to start with Stephon Gilmore and his locking down of DeAndre Hopkins. He's had Hopkins' number for many years now. Uh, Ever since he's joined the Patriots, he's done a great job of limiting DeAndre Hopkins, who is one of the best wide receivers in the league. And the Patriots trusted him out there. He did a great job. Hopkins got his. You know, he's still a great receiver. But 55 yards on five catches, not all of them with, uh, you know, Stephon Gilmore in coverage. I think I saw one of them with... You know, it might have been Bentley in coverage. They they got Hopkins in the slot on linebacker coverage. So, you know, not all of that was against Gilmore. And the Patriots did a great job taking away their top option. And Jason McCourty did a great job. Uh, or I guess J.C. Jackson did a great job against Christian Kirk, uh, limiting him to just 19 yards on three catches. So the Patriots secondary did a great job making sure that there wasn't any production from this very good passing attack. Uh, it's just a matter of, okay, Kenyon Drake, got his he did a very good job of, of running the ball where the Patriots had a little bit of a softer underbelly but there's kind of a give and take there and I, I was kind of impressed Alec and I'm interested in your opinion Adam Butler he had a great day out there yeah yeah no he was probably the best player on the field for the Patriots possibly on the best field on the field for the Patriots or the Cardinals um, just dominant up the middle chased down tackles from behind they moved him around the line a little bit I don't know where he's been all season but he took advantage of the opportunities he was given really impressed with that guy I agree yeah totally I mean so the, he, he was very disruptive up front and it gave the Patriots an opportunity at that second level to still compete you know Kyler Murray was pretty much contained 31 rushing yards on five attempts one of those was on 15 yards so the Patriots did a very good job of keeping him in the backfield Major kudos again, Adrian Phillips. He he was my uh, you know one of the defensive stars for the Patriots. So I, I think that the Patriots' defensive game plan came and started with making sure that Kyler Murray couldn't escape, that he couldn't win or extend drives with his legs, and then making sure that Hopkins couldn't take over the game. And with those two things, Gilmore did his job. Adrian Phillips did his job stopping Kyler Murray. And that just kind of set up the rest of the day for success where, you know, even though the Patriots weren't able to get anything going on offense, neither were the Cardinals, despite the fact that, you know, that that huge, huge, huge goal line stand right prior to the half uh, just rings so important because the Patriots were only able to win because they stopped them on downs for the goal line stand right before the half. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a seven points, and then they get the ball back start the third quarter. So that could have basically iced the game, that, that stand right there. Again, this is an old-school Patriots win. Uh, the only thing that really separates, I think, the old-school Patriots versus the 2020 Patriots is when the Patriots' defense and special teams were keeping them in the game and giving the defense, uh, giving the offense opportunities to score, uh, we'd find scenarios in days of old where Tom Brady would get the ball back down three or down four with two minutes left, and he'd drive down the field and kick a field goal or score a touchdown to win. Um, when Cam Newton has the ball with a game-winning drive on the line, he's probably going to throw a pick. Uh, <sighs> probably what we've seen. And it happened again uh, against against the Cardinals. He threw the interception, a pretty key one, and luckily the Cardinals missed that that extra point, or that, that field goal, would gave him another second chance of life. But that wasn't like the Patriots did enough to win there. The, the Pats definitely got some breaks, and I just don't think that if we're in a scenario ever where when Tom Brady got the ball – with down down four, down three, with X number of minutes left, I was always very confident he'd put them at least in position to win. They might not punch it in the goal line. They might miss the field goal, but he'd get down there, and it would be at least a maybe last minute going one way or the other. When Cam Newton gets the ball late with a game-winning drive on the table, I'm like, well, 
they're going to turn this one over, or if it's going to be fourth down, he's going to overthrow it. That's kind of how the Patriots go. Luckily, they got bailed out by that roughing the passer call. And Nick Folk, man, has been a godsend. This Seriously, season. he's I feel like I feel like he's like the leading scorer on the team. I've got no stats to back that up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, too, he he's been able to uh, what is it? He's on like a 19 kick streak or something like that. Uh, something exceptional where. They mentioned it at the beginning of the game. He connected on that field goal to start the second half, and they're like, oh, wow, that's his, like, 18th in a row. Uh, and I was just like, oh, man, here <laughs> we go. They, they're setting this up for just the most obvious jinx, but it didn't work. 50-yard uh, field goal from someone who we had all thought at the beginning of the year just didn't have the leg anymore to go beyond 40 yards. That's fantastic. He's been so important for the Patriots, and you know the Patriots seem to always get lucky with figuring out who is going to carry this team from a kicker perspective. Folk seems to be that guy. Uh, really great job from him. I mean, honestly, special teams was the name of the day for the Patriots with Gunnar Olszewski doing such a great job on that. Uh, Dante Moncrief with a great return. And then Jake Bailey, too. There was that one punt that started the Cardinals on the three-yard line. That was enormous. You know, I mean, there, there were, he'd only punched, I believe, three times on the day. Two of them just were not from great field position. One of them was from their own 20 yard line. So it was just going as far as you can. But that one field goal where they kicked, uh, from right around midfield, pinning them at the three yard line, that, that just honestly, again, held them to a field goal. The, the every yard mattered in this game. So great job by the special teams unit. Yeah, it's funny. I never know how I'm supposed to feel when I hear that your team's punter is having a great season because they're punting. <laughs> they're punting all the time. He's, he's doing so well. So I'm like, yay, good for Jake Bailey. Uh, but I guess you take what you can get in 2020. I mean, we'll take a win. And with this win, the Patriots now move to five and six, one game away from 500. Their playoff hopes skyrocketed from 8% chance of winning, uh, getting to the playoffs to 12% mm-hmm. chance getting to the postseason. They are currently still 10th in the AFC. They do have some tiebreakers over some playoff-bound teams. They have tiebreakers over the Dolphins. They have tiebreakers over the Raiders, tiebreakers over the Ravens. However, with these last five games on the, on the slate being the Chargers, the Rams, and then three AFC East games, Bills, Dolphins, and Jets. Uh, I don't know if necessarily that's the order, but that's, those are the last five games on the season. Patriots are pretty much going to have to run the table Get to ten and six, get a little bit of help to sneak into one of those wild card spots. And I'm curious, Rich Hill, do you think the Pages can run the table and do they have a shot in the postseason? Oh man. Well uh, uh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they they don't have a chance in the postseason. I don't know. I mean, if you just watch any of the other games from the contenders, you watch a Chiefs game, you you watch a even just a Packers game, and you're just like, oh, this Patriots team would get smoked by them at this point in time. Uh, and I think that's still the case. I mean, there's just not a way that the Patriots can go punch for punch with a team that has any semblance of a starting quarterback or an offense. And this is, uh, I mean, sure, they stopped a good offense with the Cardinals. They did a great job there. You, if, if you're winning based off of a couple kick returns, you know, a kick return and a punt return, that's not sustainable. This, this, the way that the Patriots beat the Cardinals was a one in a hundred chance sort of scenario. You do not win games where your quarterback does not crack a hundred yards, where they turn over the ball multiple times. Uh, and you just don't win that those. And so this is not a team that can run the table. And you look at their upcoming schedule. They are going to do a West Coast trip starting uh, on the road against the the Chargers on Sunday. Then they're on the road on Thursday, so a short week against a good Rams team. 
and then they stay on the road and they play the Miami Dolphins, a good Miami Dolphins team. Three teams that are very good or at least have a lot of talent in the sense of the the Chargers right there, and they're all on the road. And the Patriots only have one road victory this year, one road game victory, and it was a short travel game against the hapless New York Jets. So this is not a Patriots team that has been traveling well. The idea that they can go for the rest of the year without a loss, especially as they're about to embark on a three-game road trip, is something that I would not ever put money on. No, I agree with that. You know, I again, I, I think that the the floor of this team. Uh, unfortunately, I might look right in saying the floor of this team is nine and seven. I think nine and seven. I think four and one is probably the best they're going to be able to finish this season. I won't get into which games they're going to win, which games they're going to lose yet, but maybe they go three and two. Uh, I, I can see that happening. I can see them going two and three. I can see them going one and four. Uh, they're not going 0-5 because the Jets are on the table, and there's just no way they're going to beat the Jets, especially with the Jets at 0-11. I think now are actively trying for that perfect season uh, of 0-16. So I think the Patriots are going to finish between 8-8 and and 9-7 and here. Um, maybe maybe 6-10. and I, I just don't see them finishing that low. Maybe, I think they get at least two of the last five. But even if they run the table, again, even if they run the table, they go 10-6. and I still don't know if that's going to be enough to sneak into the postseason as a wild card. And I agree with you, Rich. If they do sneak in for whatever reason, they get some help and they leapfrog some teams, uh, I think it's going to be a very quick, quick out. So I don't be, want to be one of those people that like, well, if you're not going to win the Super Bowl, you may as well just go for the draft pay because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of watching sports. It's like Super Bowl or bust is not really an attitude we can have anymore. Mm-hmm. But if they do sneak into the playoffs, it's going to be a pretty, pretty short run. And uh, I'm not overly excited to watch them have to go to say – if they magically make it to Kansas City and just get kind of d- demolished by a, a Chiefs team that just seems to be able to score at will. Right? Yeah, I mean, like th- those are their options. If they come in at the, the seven seed, they will be playing either the Steelers, uh, if they f- lose down the stretch, or the Chiefs. Uh, maybe they'll even get up to the sixth seed if because if, they have a lot of those tiebreakers. They would just play the Titans and or, or the, the Bills, and I don't think either of those are good situations for the Patriots, um, especially uh, if, you know, as you said, Edelman, will he be available for the rest of the year? If he stays out, then there is no Calvary on its way so this is a very very uh you know not beneficial postseason opportunity for the patriots but again you know they they hire a team as you said uh before this podcast they are kind of the definition of average and i'm going to copy what you said they are a team that can beat the teams they're supposed to win uh they they lose to teams that they're supposed to lose to they beat some teams that they're supposed to lose to, and they lose to some teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, they have games in all of those categories this season, and uh, that means who knows? Uh, I, I think that there are certain teams that are above that. I think that the Chiefs team is absolutely above that. They are not uh, necessarily a team that will just lose to bad teams. Uh, so I kind of think that they win that chess match against the Patriots. I might put the Steelers in that category, but I still don't know if they're actually good or not or if they just really benefit from a, a easy schedule and they've kind of been fortunate on some of their matchups. Uh, and then maybe the Titans fall into that one, but I'm not sure. I, I mean, I just think that when it comes to the Steelers and Chiefs, that they are going to be representing the AFC and, you know, maybe the Patriots can make some noise early in the playoffs. That would be fun. That would be fun to see them knock out the Bills uh, or get some revenge against the Titans for last season. That would kind of be funny to see Cam Newton be able to do that. But I'm not holding out any hope for that. Nor am I, Rich. Uh, I think the, the the best thing we can do and the, the smart play going forward of these last five games is trying to see if the young guys can keep building, see if Damian Harris can keep running the ball well. 
look at the development of the skill players and think towards next year, which of these guys are going to be kind of the next core unit of the team and which ones are going to be sent packing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what the rest of the year should be. Uh, figure out who is on the roster. What do they have? What can they bring to the table? Uh, and I feel like we're learning a lot, Alec, you know, maybe let's close out on this. I think at this point, we're learning a lot about who is on the Patriots. You know, I think Jacoby Myers is a good receiver piece. I think Damian Harris is a fantastic receiver piece. I think Michael Nwenu is a very good piece. Who's a player that over these final six weeks, you really want to get a better sense of on whether or not they are a piece for the future? I think for me, it's not necessarily a newer guy, um, but I'd love to know what the Patriots are planning to do with Jason McCourty. Uh, I feel like he's been very streaky. I think he's still a good player. I think he's a valuable piece to the secondary. But given the emergence of J.C. Jackson and Jonathan Jones and Jawan Bentley, I, I don't know if he's going to be a, a, a long-term guy. So I, I'd love to see what, what they're going to do with him in terms of his long-term future with the team. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be sticking around and if they're going to let Devin go and Jason go at the same time. I know Devin McCourty is still locked up for a while still, but uh, I'm very curious on that. Uh, I'd also love to see what they're going to do with, with the, the young linebackers, with Chase Winovich and Jawan Bentley, uh, and if Therese Hall is going to stick around. He's been called up for a while. I know with Dante Hightower out and with all the trades and the, the free agency departures, they're really weak at the linebacker position. So I'm very curious to see if they think that any of the linebackers they have outside of Jawan Bentley are going to be the guy going forward or if they're going to more or less reset that position once Hightower comes back and try to find some guys via trades and free agency next year. Yeah, totally. I mean, like that's also like a if Hightower comes back. I'm, I'm looking at the players that are setting out right. for COVID. Is Hightower going to come back? Is Chung going to come back? Is Cannon going to come back? Those are three players who, you know, throw in Devin McCourty there as well. These are players that have flirted with the idea of retirement over the past couple of years. So we'll see. I mean, we will see if they come back. Um, my pick is Gunnar Olszewski. I think that that kick return was fantastic. And uh, he seems to make some plays happen when he has the ball in his hands. They just haven't necessarily had all of the opportunities to do that. Uh, and, and so I, I would love to see if he can become an, a more active piece of this offense in a way that, uh, you know, he just hasn't been given the opportunity to do. Uh, but you know what? I don't, I don't need to see much more of Nikhil Harry unless they're still going to get a little bit more creative and switch his role um, and, and give him something else to do in the offense. I want to see Gunnar Olszewski. I want to see what he's able to do. That's great. And uh, I'm sorry to hear you've kind of given up on Nikhil Harry, but I, I can't really blame you. I'm not quite there yet, uh, but I, I can now see the other side and how much fun it is to knock this guy because he's had plenty of time at this point and he's just not really getting it done. now. And if, if he – Somehow manages to emerge. I will gladly eat my words. But um, I think we're going to see a very, very different Patriots team in terms of personnel this time next season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There will be a lot of changes to be made. Patriots will have a lot of cap space. They'll have a lot of flexibility. So, yeah, see who's worth keeping around. See if they have the good pieces. I love what they've been doing with Kyle Duggar, giving him a better opportunity to showcase what he's able to do. I think the Patriots are in good hands at that safety spot. I think he will be a fantastic long-term replacement for Patrick Chung. Uh, so they do have the pieces there. Maybe even Jonathan Jones will be the long-term replacement for Devin McCourty. I would love to see that. So th there is a lot to see, but... That will be for the next six weeks of the season as the Patriots close out the year. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week 12 of the NFL season? You got to win. We'll take it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See you. Later.